1: It's Steve Bloomers watching the Independent Derby County Podcast. A belated happy Easter from all of us at SPW Towers after a potentially season-defining bank holiday weekend where the Rams were unbeaten, but also underwhelming. Uh, When you rack up 28 shots on goal in one game, that's a shot almost every three minutes. Uh, You'd normally expect three points, but in some worrying echoes of the early season, where we went game to game, basically inventing new ways not to find the back of the net. Uh, It was once again a frustrating finale as MK Dons took advantage of Derby's spectacular wastefulness to poach an unlikely point. Uh, The current pessimism might seem a bit of an overreaction, really, for any neutral looking at the League One table. Derby County are, after all, level on points with sixth-placed Bolton. At the moment, but the manner in which we're dropping points, the form of teams around us, our relative lack of goals and downturn in form since February mean it would take an extremely optimistic Rams fan to back us to win at Wembley right now. I'm your host, Chris Parsons. Kutch and Fallows are here with me for episode 155 of SBW. Uh, Kutch, mate, I've just been basically comfort-eating Easter eggs for the past hour to, to cope with that <laughs> result. Um, how on earth did we not win there?
0: Yeah, no, shocking. I actually missed the first 10 minutes. And so I saw the pure domination uh, of, of, of that first half. And then when I watched the highlights at halftime, I saw even more chances that I'd missed in those first 10 minutes. I think I even missed Collins when he hit the post. So... Yeah, I mean, it should have been game over at half time, and there have been other games this season where we have managed to do that. And, and you know, if you got a second goal in that first half, I think it probably is over because Milton Keynes didn't really even come back into it a great deal in the second half. They had kind of had that one chance and scored it. So extremely wasteful. But then the longer the game went on, I thought the less likely we looked like getting a second goal. So, yeah, extremely frustrating because after Friday and then looking at the, the next four fixtures, particularly... Yeah, we could have really put a winning run together. But yeah, need to um, step it up again in the weekend.
1: Blake, it's pretty hard not to feel really despondent after that, isn't it? And, and deflated, as you said, just before we started recording. I mean, can you make a case for this Derby County team that they can still get promoted at this point? Seventh on goal difference right now.
2: Yeah, it's it's not over, is it? But deflated is, is the word of the day. I, I mean, I don't think I felt like this all season. And to to sum it up, I was having conversations with uh, Mick Derby, who I sit next to at Pride Park, at half-time. And it was a case of, let's go and get four or five now, and that will be like an extra point. And I think that sums up the dominance of, of Derby in the first half. I mean, how many times have we said it, that first half, we look like that. We look, we're going to win four or five nil. Milton Keynes looked one of the poorest sides that have come to Pride Park this season. Chance after chance and second half, it's just a different story. And it's it's becoming quite frustrating. And I mean, look, I'm philosophical about it. I know some people don't like the uh, look where you were a year ago kind of angle. But we do need to look at the squad, the depth of the squad. I think that's not particularly helping us. But today was particularly deflating. I mean, if you'd have said to me at half time, this is going to be one all, I think I'd have laughed because it was just so dominant. And yeah, I'm I'm really, really deflated today. And, and I've not felt this for a long time.
0: I think you said it there, Blake, that MK Dons did look like one of the worst teams to come to Pride Park, You know, particularly in the first half. They weren't much better in the second. We just got worse, I thought. But they were really bad. I mean, Harahan looked good. Corey Smith looked really good. But they were kind of playing in an armchair because it was MK Dons were really sitting back deep. There's no press on the midfield at all. And and you can't really fault them too much, the Derby players in that first half, because they did create all those chances. And another day, three or four of them do go in. But they were a really poor team, MK Dons. And they did maybe threaten a little bit on the break in the first half. There's a few warning signs they went through. I think just after Nat had been through and, and I think hit it straight to the keeper, MK Dons broken us uh, broken us straight away in that first half. And and I think they, were, they got caught offside, which was a decent chance if they'd if they managed that better. So the warning signs were there um but yeah the longer it went on the more comfortable i thought mk don's left looked and the and the changes you know bird didn't have much of an impact dobbin didn't have much of an impact i think blake's right the, the, the lack of options is just it's just hurting us
1: yeah a few five word reviews then from our followers on twitter uh how would you sum up Derby County won. MK Dons won in five words. Loads of responses, as we usually get after a disappointing result. Uh, Robert said, it was always going to happen. Chris Rowe said, judge won in a year. Uh, Derby Boy said, second half non-existent again. Uh, Ben said, wasteful Derby pay the price. Uh, Vicky B said, can't play for 90 minutes. Uh, Chris Marson said, same thing happens every week. <laughs> o, just O underscore DCFC said, throwing myself in the Derwent. Um, but, you know, calm down, steady on. <laughs> um, what else we got? Cash said, played brilliantly, lacked an edge. Uh, and Nikki B's and uh, Chris Smith also made the point of didn't replace Asula in January. Maybe one to revisit in a second, but uh, yeah, I watched the Sky Sports highlights just before we came on and the clip is one minute and 42 seconds long. But in that, they still managed <laughs> to squeeze in both goals, a penalty appeal and five more missed Derby chances, which I speaks vo- speaks volumes about just how profligate Derby were in that game. Um, I mean, a few people mentioning the penalty appeal, Kutch, it didn't look like one to me. And we're going to come on to officiating in general in the second half, but we can't blame the ref, can we? It's when you have 28 attempts on goal at home against a team who are 19th, who you've already beaten once this season and don't win, you've only got yourselves to blame. So I guess, does how does it affect the uh, promotion picture? you think, like the remaining games, Peterborough on a pretty decent run at the moment. They won at the weekend. Derby hanging on to the coattails of Bolton only because of Cambridge's injury time equaliser away at Bolton um, on today, Easter Monday. But the remaining games, Bolton do have a game in hand. So they've got six. They've got Oxford away, Burton away, Shrewsbury at home, Accrington at home, Fleetwood at home, Bristol Rovers away. Quite hard to really detect how i will get on in those. Peterborough five to play. Cambridge away, Accrington away, Ipswich at home, Bristol Rovers at home, Barnsley away. Is that a local derby? Let's say it is. Uh, Then two really tough games, Ipswich and Barnsley. Mm. And then derby, of course, five to play, Bristol Rovers away, Exeter away, Burton at home, Portsmouth at home, Sheffield Wednesday away. Crucially, Kutch, I'm not really sure I could guarantee how many points Bolton and Peterborough are going to pick up in those games, but... (laughs) I don't really back us to win more than one or two at most of our remaining five either. It's really, t- really touch and go at the moment, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. I think, you know, it's hard to look at the fixtures because we've we've looked at some kind of fixtures coming up for us before, particularly home games in the last couple of months. And it hasn't gone the way we would have expected. We would have expected to win today. We probably should have win today. We expect us to beat Burton at home, but we know what our record like is against them in the last few years. Extra and Bristol Rose away both look like tricky away days at the way we're playing. So I think all those run-ins sound kind of similar or, you know, similar in quality. I think everyone's got a couple of tricky games and a few games we'd be expected to win. Uh, for me, it's kind of, I know mathematically it's not in our hands, but if we actually did go on a run, I think we'd get it. I think Bolton and Peterborough aren't going to win all their games. So I, I can see us still sneaking to playoffs. I can't see us doing anything in the playoffs, so I think I think we could still get it get in there. Though no, Bolton aren't exactly convincing right now. You say obviously that they were just a couple of minutes away from winning, but that's only one win in five for them, similar to us. So I think it's probably between Derby and Bolton for for that sixth place. I think Peter look on a decent run, and yeah, that could still they could still fall off, but they don't look like they're going to fall off at the moment. And when we played them a few weeks ago, I thought they looked pretty
1: good. Blake, I can't believe I'm actually saying this two months after a 15-game unbeaten run ended. But like we have to talk about what would happen if Derby don't go up at this point. We literally did podcasts about six weeks ago saying, would this season be a failure if we don't finish in top six? Uh, It now looks more likely than not that we won't, I feel, just because of what I've said in the past five minutes. Um, But you have to come back to David Klaus's five-year plan, which was establish Derby in the championship within five years. And I, I just mentioned that because I saw a message from one of our patrons, I think it's Stephen Bosworth, who said, like, it doesn't fancy us to go up this season, but that might be a blessing in disguise in the long run. Um, I mean, how would you feel if we didn't go up this year or if we didn't even make it in the top six?
2: Uh, no, I wouldn't be overly disappointed. I think I, I agree with the sentiment that we're going to battle in the summer to, to try and get some of the restrictions lifted, that will help us one, bring in the players and, and build the squad that, that Warren wants, obviously these aren't, the majority of the, these players aren't poor Warren's players and if we can go out and spend a little bit of money, maybe we'll be stronger next season and then in a position after next season to be better equipped to go into into the Championship, so I don't think it's a failure, and sometimes it's it's frustrating when you hear that or oh, we've got to we've got to remember where we were this time last year in this time of January February last year, and and at some point we've we've got to stop saying that and and look to the future, haven't we? But it, it's really not the end of the world for me if if Derby are a top eight club in League One this season. Would we have taken that at the start of the season? Maybe, maybe we've we've shown some encouraging signs, and I think it's it's something that could be built on for for next season. it's It's not a massive failure. um I, I, I think I'm with you, Chris, where I'm not overly confident of of the playoffs now, just just looking at it on paper. I mean, a lot can happen, and it only takes for us to go to to Bristol and Exeter and go and get back-to-back wins and, and a couple of results go for us and we're favourites again, aren't we? But I, I don't think it would be a, a failure for us to, to have one more season in League One and really start to build and, and be stronger because the last thing I'd want is to, to go back into the Championship and, and have a season that we've had previously in in Premier League seasons, where you're you're probably going to win as see us win one or two away, or do you know what I mean? Have a poor season. I mean, that that might not happen, but it'd be nice to to really put a squad together uh, that the manager believes in. He's done it before. He knows what he wants. So maybe it is a blessing in disguise. Maybe uh, Stephen's hit the nail on the head there. I I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, Kutch, the thing is about the current mood around the club is it's all relative, isn't it? Like. We started the season mediocre in a mediocre fashion. Warren came in. We went on an amazing run in the mid-part of the season. And now like the wheels have come off or it's it's starting to look that way and we're just running out of steam, like however you want to describe it. But if those things had happened in a different order and Warren had come in, had a pretty ordinary start, and then like um and then like December we'd have gone on a huge run which only ended like two weeks ago that there's no way that the current mood would be as it is now would it like if we'd have started the season if we'd have finished the season incredibly strongly but still finished eighth the mood would be considerably different than if we'd uh, you know like had a great middle part of the season and then dropped off or maybe that's I don't know maybe that's too simplistic but it's just difficult not to feel despondent because of where we were for four months and because we were contenders for four months and because we were almost <laughs> chasing the automatics for four months. So it's more about where we've come from than where we are now, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I was thinking in a similar area today, Chris, in terms of the order of things, you know, if 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 it had taken more and longer to get his feet under the table and his playing style, but then they clicked in yeah you know, January and gone on a run, it, it could be very different because you could actually sneak into the playoffs at that point and then you're in a form team. So and you'd have a real bounce go into next season rather than currently we're kind of limping into next season the way it looks. But I agree with Blake that, that I've always said and I said a few weeks ago on the podcast that you take promotion when it comes. You can't be picky about when you get promoted. There's no bad time to get promoted. But there is definitely a benefit of, of one having... A summer in this division to build a start building a team he wants to build we've got the recruitment uh, director in place now we've got paul Warren in place you know he'll know which of the players in the current squad where he wants to keep and which ones maybe he's happy to move on and and we're interesting to see you know what those decisions are in the summer and i think what the club and the fans could hold on to is that that long unbeaten run and that winning streak just a few months ago because that's what's possible with Paul Warren in charge with the right kind of squad and I think it probably is you know size of squad some players maybe not fully suiting the style of play and it just have been a very bit unbalanced you know we've got no real fullbacks in that squad we've got we've got no wing backs in that squad so I'm, I'm I'm trying to stay positive for the medium to long term the short term I think will continue limping towards the end of the season I still think we could sneak six but I don't think we'll do anything if we got to the playoffs with the squad and the shape it's in,
1: yeah, I think I agree. Uh, I guess we all got swept up in it at the time in the unbeaten run, and it was it, it was so much fun. It was great, like the wins and the goals and the way we won games and, and the streak we went on. But like, let's but if you actually, if you actually look at it in the cold light of day, and part of the problem is that we've just shipped so many goals recently. That 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 run was built on a really solid defense, which, as we've said before, was based on. A midfielder, at right back, a 34-year-old left back, at centre back, a young defender in his second season as a pro as the other centre back, and a number 10 as the left back. Like, it shouldn't have made sense. That back four shouldn't have won as many games and kept as many clean sheets as they did. It shouldn't have worked, but it did. And maybe this run that we're on now is just us finding our level. But just to come back to something that you said there, I completely agree. You can't judge one... In any way, seriously, and until he's had at least a preseason, because like, yeah, people talk about him being like a oh, he's just a fitness coach." like, yeah, he is. That's one of his major strengths, and like seasons and and bases of fitness are built around preseason. We've got to give him a preseason, or everyone that's spoken to and worked with one has talked about his preseason. So that has to be the starting point for any sort of serious long-term judgment about his time at Derby. So I can't even entertain any any chat about, about his suitability for the job right now because he's he, he hasn't even been really given a proper chance.
0: Yeah, I'd like to think there isn't any serious chat about people questioning Paul Warren or his plays at Derby. I think yeah, he's gar- absolutely guaranteed in my book at least another year in this job uh, and a chance this summer to really shape the squad and, and train the squad, as you say. And I think it's important to remember... That this is his second job right so rotherham was his first job and he did an absolutely incredible job there um so not only is joining you know midway through the season a bit new to him so i think he i think he joined at the end of a season in the championship um at rotherham but joining you know kind of at the start midway through a season you know is new to him and a completely different club and th- completely different surroundings of a whole squad that isn't his so i i think Whatever he could got could have got out of this squad was a bonus in my eyes, and he almost gave us that incredible journey this season. I think he'll have a great season next season, and I'm looking forward to that. I just think it'd be nice to try and salvage something from the season and finish it on somewhat of a, a positive note.
1: Yeah, I think it's 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 such a genuine handicap. Like coming into a season, coming into a club like partway for a season, it's almost like sort of running, you know, attempting to win a race, like a 400 meter race after having like a Three or four second light handicap at the start or something. It's just really difficult to judge him on that. But that um, we were unbeaten, as we said over the Easter weekend, not all doom and gloom. And well, Kutch and Blake, we had a frankly tropical, balmy, terrific trip to Forest Green on uh, on Friday. Sort of glanced over at you, Blake, in the in the first half in the the luxury of the little mini terrace down the side there. Um, look, you've been to every away game this season. I'm assuming that Forest Green is going to live long in the memory, just because it's just a, quite an odd place to watch football, really, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's um, it. It was a very strange day um, on the on the journey home. We, me and, and the group that that we travel with, were saying it was just so such a strange, a strange day. Uh, it was pretty much well in my head anyway. Game over after 34 seconds and it kind of descended into a, a like a pre-season friendly type feel uh, from then on the the ground itself i mean you was i saw you stood on the terrace you looked very uncomfortable chris uh, kind of clambered and <laughs> holding on to a, a railing trying to grab a view of the action and then pointed out obviously Kutch behind enemy lines uh, behind enemy lines for for a change he's getting brave aren't you coach <laughs> but just a, yeah just a really really strange not necessarily strange in a bad way, by the way. This isn't a, a dig at Forest Green. But to give a, a, a paint the picture for people who, who haven't been to Forest Green, it's like arriving in the middle of the Peak District. There's nothing there and then there's a football ground. And yeah, it, it's a very weird place. I think I, it's the smallest stand I've ever watched Derby County in. I mean, I was in like a small seated area that had two rows of 50 seats. So I, I, I was lucky enough to, to see most of the action, but... Judging by the people that were sitting on fences and clambering around it, I don't think the view was the greatest from the from the terrace.
1: Was it? No, it really wasn't. It was, uh, <laughs> it was bizarre for many reasons. But basically, like when me and Tom queued up for the away end, uh, like I don't know about sort of two forty seven or two forty five, two fifty. Like there was a, it was already full, but there were still like about two hundred Derby fans trying to get in. So we eventually got into like that side stand that's like most ninety percent terrace. And when we got in, um, I, I, I put my ticket through the thing as I heard a cheer and that was Derby winning the penalty. And in the meantime, got in and we managed to sort of peer over someone's shoulder at the back to see Collins convert the pen. And then we sort of went down the back to try and actually get a space to watch the rest of the first half. And I sort of, I ended up like with one foot on a concrete stair and then like hanging on with one arm. So like a bright green neon barrier. And then my other leg was just sort of like dangling in midair, really. Um, it was <laughs> a very strange experience and not one I'd ever think I'll get in any other League One ground or ground I'll ever go to in the future. Quite reminiscent of Yeovil. The end, that was the only comparison I think I had from about 10 years ago when me and Tom went to Yeovil when they had one season in the championship. But yeah, Coach, I'm starting to think you actually like it more in the home end. You're getting quite <laughs> cozy, and, and you don't seem to really. Like mixing it with the Derby fans so much more, do you?
0: Well, I've got a hundred percent win record this season. Two home ends, two two win two wins on the road. So uh yeah, I was actually sat with my mum and dad and my uncle, uh, who kind of go to Forest Greens semi-regularly as they live just a short drive down the road. Um, but I, I think it's look, it's a beautiful part of the world. Uh, as you say, you know, we, we walk back lovely, walk down past, you know country roads to a craft brewery about 20 minutes from the ground post game, which was great. If you were watching on Rams TV, if you saw someone in a bright yellow jumper by the corner flag, we were attacking in the second half waving uh, from the second row. That was me. Uh, I kept waving whenever the camera was pointed towards uh, that <laughs> side. I know I know Anton spotted me, and I think you boys spotted me halfway through the first half. But look, looking at the away end, because I was opposite the away end, you know, what, what was a real problem with that ground is that away end, is it's so spread out thin, right? There's probably like, what is it, five or six deep row-wise? So although the Derby fans were singing, the singers are all so spread out across. It never really got a great deal of sound going. So it's kind of an odd atmosphere. But again, a bit like Oxford, you know, it was a much more friendly place to be behind enemy lines, so to speak, than Oxford. But um, there was quite a few Derby fans in, sev- in in all three, I think, of the home stands. Uh, there was a few Derby fans sat behind me. Um, and there was a few Derby fans in that goal uh, Derby was shooting towards in the second half as well. So it was a really fun day out. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a great game. It was a very, very comfortable win for Derby, as Blake said. It was kind of quite obviously over after that first goal goes in. Uh, but it was a yeah nice away day, and it was nice
1: to uh, spend the weekend with uh, the Steve Bloomer's Washing Boys and families. Yeah. Very uh, yeah genteel is the uh, is the word I'd use to describe the, the atmosphere in your away end. It was a uh, yeah oddly <laughs> oddly polite in a way that was a little bit disconcerting. But uh, it's it's a new month, of course, so uh, so that does mean that there's a new bonus podcast for members of the Steve Bloomer's Washing Patreon channel, and uh, for our April offering. We've done another Away Days special uh, recorded on the open air terrace at Forest Green Rovers on Good Friday. So uh, you can hear the full podcast by signing up for just the price of a coffee per month and get loads of other benefits as well over at patreon.com forward slash Steve Bloomer's Washing. But here is a little taster. 2-0, oh, wow. <laughs> Tom. Told me through what the actual fuck happened there. Absolutely. Off. Worst goal we scored all season by a mile, but it's the goal we needed, wasn't it, to kill it off?
0: It was a thing of beauty, Chris. A, a, a little bit of a press. Horse went backwards and across their box. The goalkeeper's out of position. But Goldrick got the block in
1: and it rolls into the back of the net. A thing <laughs> of beauty. Glorious. It will not win goal of the season, but who on earth cares? 2-0. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Mendes lang and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing.
2: Johnny Russell, Joe Ledley, Mate Vidra
1: might yet open up for a shot for him.
2: A storming start!
1: Unbelievable! 24 seconds!
2: Mate Vidra, a man who always makes a mark against Forrest.
1: So, uh, yeah, that's was Forrest Green and uh, MK Dons then. It was interesting against MK Dons and Forrest Green, actually, that we did shift to three at the back. Uh, James Chester was in there against Forrest Green, thought he did very well, although I didn't really have to do that much defending. Um, I think he pulled up in the warm-up or just before the game against MK Dons, which was just, yeah, very disappointing. And I know that some fans do say that he's a bit injury-prone and it's a real shame that we can't seem to get him into a, a run of, of minutes in a derby shirt. But um against MK it was uh it was Rooney, uh, Jake Rooney, Aaron Cashin and Hayden Roberts. Although it's it's sort of weird, isn't it, Kutch, because it doesn't it's not really like a back three a lot of the time, because Corey Smith does drop in and it's quite like fluid when when Roberts goes forward. Um but look, we were clearly shipping too many goals when that, you know, that made one go back to this in the first place. Like he started with three at the back, then went to a four on the run, and then that run ended and it all went wrong. And now he's gone back to three. So I guess we've just tried to negate conceding so many goals by offering that support for the for the centre backs with Smith screening and protecting. Um but it, is it going to be here to stay to the end of the season, do you think? Like is this how we're going to set up in all games or were we just trying to like match up some relatively like limited opposition over the Easter weekend. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I'm not
0: entirely sure. He might maybe he's doing it with one eye towards next season and seeing well which which of these players do suit suit that system. You know, can Menderslang be an effective right wing back? Can can Barkhausen be an effective left wing back? What's Jake Rooney really like at right centre back? Maybe he's got one eye on next season if that's the, the way he wants to go. I know what you mean about Corey Smith. It does kind of sometimes look like a, a back four because he kind of drops into that centre back position when Roberts and or Rooney goes forward I thought Roberts was was brilliant today I think Hayden Roberts has, has had a few good games in a row now and I thought he was kind of the most comfortable you know, stepping out from the back and into, into the midfield and almost beyond them at times I'd like to see Mendez Lang still be further forward you know in that position if Rooney's maybe not going to kind of step forward as much as Roberts if Corey Smith slides across I think Mendez Lang can be a bit can start a bit higher up I just think he has too much to do when he's Receiving it almost in his own half or on the halfway line, so I'm not convinced you get the best. Well, you definitely don't get the best out of Mendes Lang um, in that position. I still would like to see Mendes Lang play up in play up in that front too. I don't think McGoldrick and Collins particularly works in the tougher games together. I wouldn't mind seeing yeah you know, him play much much further forward and kind of play a free role across you know trying to find space on either wing. But I I think three five two possibly is here to stay. He's he's got the midfielders for it. And I think he's maybe. You know, I think if Chester's fit, that's another good option at right centre back. It's just for me, it's just not getting the best out of our wide players. But that's something he could rectify in the summer.
1: Yeah, I guess you saw some of the limitations of it in a way of three at the back in in the in the goal we conceded, really, Blake, against MK. Like sort of caught on the break, and you got to be honest, Mendes Lang doesn't really do enough defensively to. To stop the MK Don's player because he's not a defender. It's not his job. He's not what he he trains his whole career to do. Um so yes it offers you more bodies in midfield but you can sometimes look a bit stretched at the back, can't you? Like do you think I mean could Warn change again before the end of the season, go back to a four before in the last remaining five games?
2: Uh yeah, I, I think potentially could go back to the to the flat back four. I, I was in the yard uh, the the public pride park after the game, and there was some of the derby county staff in there, and it was referred to as uh, playing false fives, um, and that's really interesting that it's referred to as that that different people are, are basically dropping into playing those in in those three roles, um, obviously like the the famous false nine of not having a striker, we didn't really have a number five, we had different people dropping in, and and playing there, which I I don't think I've ever. Seen the like of a system like that, where different people are kind of dropping in and taking responsibility for the the centre half position. Did that cost us on the break today? Yeah, it, I think it might have done with the the, the manner of how we conceded the equaliser. I do think it's a case of we, we've spoken about the limitations that that Warren's got with with the squad, and is he trying? To get the He's trying different things to get the best out of what he's got. And sometimes it's not going to quite work. I think I'd like to see four at the back, I think, particularly at home. I think if you go away to uh, like the, the next couple of games you've got coming up, if you go three slash five at the back for those and try and go on the counter-attack and, and nick a goal, and then you've got three at the back while, you defend, uh, while you're going forward Sorry, and, and five at the back when you're defending, that makes a bit more sense to me than maybe having three at the back at home, um, it is a difficult one. It, and obviously, Davis is, David Curtis Davis is, is coming and, and, and in and out of the side. Chester injured again. And, and I thought he was a revelation at, at Forest Green. Uh, I think he was a really calming influence. And you can you can tell his uh, experience. I thought he was uh, shooing for maybe man of the match for Derby uh, at Forest Green. So that was obviously disappointing to lose Chester. Did that affect Warren's decision? Did he change it because of that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But for me, I, I, particularly at home, I would like to see a, a flat back four. And as Kutch said, get Mendes Lang up in there in the mix where he, he can really start to to affect games and, and beat people, get to the byline and and create some chances.
1: Yeah, with Chester, I guess you, um, uh, you know, it, it was said that he tightened up before the game. And I think there's a certain element of just wanting to keep him wrap him in cotton wool really and keep him fresh. And I don't even know if he was properly injured. I think maybe it was just like a precaution and he wasn't played and he just wasn't risked because, uh, you know, I guess you'd rather just miss him for this game uh, and then maybe try and have him back in for the remaining five. But in terms of the summer and Warren's targets, I guess we'll get a real feel for the shape that he wants through the targets that he goes for. Like, you know, if he goes for a right wing back, it's clear he, he maybe wants to go for for, for the three or maybe he goes for like a more traditional right back. And that is not a huge amount of difference in those positions. But does that mean that he he is willing to to go to more of a flat four? So it'll be really interesting to see like the early recruits that he does make in the summer, depending on what division we're in and how that's going to factor like the, you know, the shape that we go for in the seasons and the games of head coach.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited for the summer. You know, I am really excited for summer because we have got a coach who knows this division inside out and we've got a head of recruitment who knows this division inside out. They're going to know exactly what they want. They're going to know what players are available. And Derby should be kind of, should have kind of first pick in the draft, so to speak. This is is a a league where there's a lot of free agents. There's going to be lots of good quality players who are out of contract in the summer because that's how League One and League Two operates. Most people on one year two-year contracts. Three-year contracts are very rare. So you kind of have your pick. Like, I'll give you an example of Forest Green. The reason Forest Green is so rubbish this season is because they, they, they won, uh, I don't know if they won League Two, but they were comfortably in the top three of League Two last season. They lost their coach and they lost half of their squad, mostly to championship clubs, because they're all out of contract. And so Derby will have their pick of the top players in League Two and the players, some of the better players in League One. And they would all be lining up those transfers now. So I'm really excited. I think it'll be obvious quite quickly, Chris, as you said, is it right wing back or is it a right back? If we get a couple of wing backs in, we know we're going to be going 3-5-2. So I'm quite excited. I, I I don't know enough about League One to know what those which of those players are or who I think we should go and get. But I, I think we'll be excited when we start seeing the names in the summer and we look at how they performed in recent seasons. I think we'll be getting some of the better players in League One, or the really up and coming players from League Two, or from uh, maybe from Scotland or from other divisions. So, uh, I think uh, it will be another exciting summer, and I think that squad will take shape pretty quickly because we've. What is quite clear is that David Clowes is putting the structure in place around Paul Wan to make that happen.
1: Yeah, and that's clear with the uh, recruitment of the recruiter uh, Mark. Want to say Mark, Mark Thomas from, uh, from from Oxford, who um, was clearly a key get for for Clowes. In recent weeks. Um, Just to finish off for this episode, I don't really like talking about refs, but it keeps coming up week after week after week. And it's just one that really winds fans up and does divide fan bases a bit. And also, it's something that doesn't just happen to Derby. Like, you know, we haven't podcasted since the game against Ipswich. Derby lost 2-0, which was another big blow in in the promotion hopes and really sort of set... Um, really showed the gulf a bit between those those top three top three or four, Plymouth, Wednesday, Ipswich and Barnsley and, and the chasing pack. But Derby did still have a goal disallowed at uh, 1-0, I think. Aaron Cashin's header being ruled out, not for any discernible reason I could really see. I think the official reason was a foul on the keeper. I couldn't see one. There was just a, a little bit of minor jostling between him and McGoldrick. Um, but it did raise more questions about officials getting too many of the big calls wrong this season. And it, as I said, it's not just us. Like Barnsley had that absolute howler denied at uh, the Pirelli when uh, John Braford <laughs> quite clearly handled it on the line against Burton um, in a game that they didn't win and uh, Sheffield Wednesday conceding that utterly bizarre penalty at Oxford on Friday as well. I don't really know what the answer is here, Blake, but what do you even attempt to do about it? I mean, is VAR even a realistic option in the football league? Like, is the infrastructure even there to roll out a system where you've got eyes on every game in the football league every week, week in and week out? It doesn't really seem feasible to me. Or do we just have to accept that the inconsistency and, uh, you know, the inconsistency will happen and you have to hope that, as the cliche goes, these things level themselves out over the season.
2: The frustrating thing for me is the manner of some of the of the decisions. I mean, there's none from today that particularly rankle. Um, I think we may have been unlucky with Jason Knight going through on goal, maybe, potentially been a bit soft. But when you hear the explanation uh, from the referee from, from the Ipswich game, when he says the linesman said to him on his headset, um, you've got um, McGoldrick has got eyes on the goalkeeper and he misinterpreted that as McGoldrick has got his hands on the goalkeeper and therefore gives a foul that's it's pretty unacceptable isn't it that
1: it's embarrassing isn't it absolutely it's an absolute farce
2: just have a chat what happened to it I mean it used to be the common thing that um, a linesman would, or a referee would go over to a linesman have a chat sorry what did you say there oh I said he's got his eyes on him sorry I thought you said that right goal given I don't understand why it's so hard and there's apologies. I mean, how can you apologise on the pitch as a referee at Plymouth when you've not even seen it back? So you know straight away you've given it wrong. If you know you've got the decision wrong on the pitch, why are you giving the decision? So that's the real frustration is the manner of it. And it's a bit of an old cliche. And I know it gets said a lot on social media, but I really do believe that referees should be held to account to a certain degree and have to come out and say, why was that goal disallowed? Because from from what I believe, the linesman apologised to, to Paul Warren or, or, or to the Derby squad last Saturday, but then wouldn't be drawn on what he'd seen. Um. So what's the point of the apology if you're not going to kind of give an explanation? So maybe holding them to account a little bit more, I, I'm not sure. I, 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 it's very frustrating.
0: What's most frustrating is when they give things which haven't happened. So, for example, the you know phantom push on the goalkeeper or or the foul on, on the Plymouth player. Like... If a referee misses something, I think that's more excusable than a referee giving something because they've what they've guessed, they've imagined something happening, or they've or there's miscommunication between the linesman and, and the referee. In the case of the Ipswich goals, Blake outlined there. Like I think you can, I think you can forgive a referee for missing something because they weren't looking at that moment, you know, they weren't looking in the right place at the right moment. That's a, that's kind of an honest mistake. But when when a referee gives something which has actually hasn't happened and then they apologize because it was a communication issue or whatever that that's kind of unacceptable and uh, i don't know as blake says you know i think there's a, there's obviously a much bigger problem with refereeing in this country if var isn't necessary to fix of it because we've seen huge mistakes being made just this weekend gone and other weekends in the premier league with with var the application of var is very poor i wouldn't want it in the football league currently i'm not against technology but the the people operating thought technology have to know what they're doing, and currently there obviously isn't the depth of officiating in this country to support it. And I wonder if actually they are, VAR in the Premier League is hurting the football league because actually you're you're pulling more of the supposedly better refs, although Premier League fans wouldn't think they're great. Um, you're pu- you're pulling more refs up to the top to operate VAR, and then you're kind of you're even more down to bare bones of officiating in the Football League as a result of that. So I think the whole refereeing pyramid, shall we say, is a shambles and is not up to standard. And it's stretched more than ever before. I think it's probably a long-term fix. I don't know how you fix refereeing in this country, but Derby and every other team are currently victims of crap refereeing.
1: Yeah, well, it's uh, not an issue that Derby can do much about, unfortunately. And even though it has affected us, the bottom line is we've got to dig in, we've got to show character, we've got to try and shake off the current woes that have beset us, and uh, just do something to get enough points to keep ourselves in contention to make something for the rest of the season. But we will return on Steve Bloomer's washing in a couple of weeks after the Burton Albion game. I think I'll be in your way end at uh, Bristol Rovers. Blake, see you there. I assume keeping up the uh, your your quite incredible run of away games.
2: Yes, yeah, so I'll be there. Bristol Rovers and Exeter, potentially a few days somewhere uh, in the southwest in between as well. So, yeah, really looking forward to that, and and hopefully six points and uh, back to sixth in the league.
1: There was a slight resignation in your voice when you said, "Yes, I'll be there," almost as if you <laughs> quite haven't quite got as much <laughs> faith in this uh, in your decision to go to every game this season. But fair play to you, as always. Uh, Kutch, pleasure to have your company as usual. Yes, very good. Thanks for a lovely weekend, Chris and thank you too so uh, don't forget to give us a follow on social media at steve bloomer pod and we're on facebook and instagram as well in between games and as you as i said get all those extra bits of content from us over on patreon.com forward slash steve bloomer's washing and see you next time